While tackling your New Year's goals, don't forget about your daily dose of fruits and vegetables, which just got easier to remember thanks to Balance of Nature. Their fruit and veggie capsules offer a convenient way to consume those essential nutritional ingredients daily. So improve your diet and feel your best this year. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code WIRE for 35% off, plus a free fiber and spice in your first order as a preferred customer. That's balanceofnature.com, promo code WIRE. I don't think it's going to be a long, long time till touchdown brings him round again to find. He's not the man we think he is at home. Oh, no, no, no. Little Rocket Man is burning out his fuse out there alone. Sanctions, missile defense, and a CIA director as the nation's new top diplomat. We will discuss President Trump's eagerly awaited meeting with Kim Jong-un, Rex Tillerson's dismissal, and how China fits into all of this with Stephen Mosher, author of the upcoming book, Bully of Asia, Why China's Dream is the Threat to the New World Order. Then some thoughts on Islam and Hillary Clinton, which poses the greater threat to Western civilization. We will have to debate. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. President Trump is promising to meet with Kim Jong-un. We now cut to Pyongyang for reaction. I'm so lonely, so lonely, so lonely and sad real alone. There's no one, just me only, sitting on my rental phone. Sorry, it was just very, I was really sad to watch that poor little dictator just crying about how lonely he is. He, uh, he is lonely. He's more isolated than ever. Uh, obviously, sure, Kim Jong-un went to the, the Olympics. That was cute. That was a, trying to uh, display that dragon lady on the world stage. But as Victor Davis Hanson points out in American Greatness, Japan, South Korea, and the United States are expanding missile defense systems that are poised to end North Korea's first strike capability, if not China's as well. Uh, there is talk that Japan is developing nuclear weapons, which again would be pointed directly at North Korea as well as at China, probably not too great for them. Uh, Trump has pushed tough sanctions on North Korea, which we have evidence are working to further destroy their economy. Meanwhile, I don't know if you've noticed your 401k or anything, but our economy is doing quite well. And China is preparing for new waves of refugees to pour across the border. They're already preparing. Plus, we're smacking China on trade over their subsidizing the steel and uh, aluminum industries in violation of uh, the WTO in violation of the World Trade Organization. We're also denying visas to lots of Chinese students and to property holders. Uh, one other thing that might be making Kim Jong-un nervous is uh, that the new top diplomat is a CIA guy. I don't know if Kim Jong-un noticed that. Then <laughs> he wakes up, he says, oh, well, they're just planning a meeting with me. Uh, the president's finally going to meet with me. So they fired their top diplomat and installed a CIA guy. That cannot be good if you are sitting in Pyongyang. What has the CIA ever tried to do to us? I don't, I don't know. Uh, on that point, uh, President Trump has fired Rex Tillerson. So uh, he tweeted this morning, he said, Mike Pompeo, director of the CIA, 
CIA will become our new Secretary of State. He will do a fantastic job. Thank you to Rex Tillerson for his service. Gina Haspel will become the new director of the CIA, the first woman so chosen. Congratulations to all. Now, uh, lefties are angry because uh, Pompeo is a pretty hardline conservative and Gina Haspel is the new CIA director. And it's always good when the Washington Post is angry. That, that's how you know that Trump has done a good thing. Um, but uh, Pompeo is good. He's a really tough conservative. He was, a, he was a bulldog on Benghazi and on Hillary Clinton's role in Benghazi. And uh, Gina Haspel is, is also uh, a, usually lauded by people on both sides of the aisle. It's only when Donald Trump says something nice about her that the left has to pretend she's awful. In 2002, the New York Times accused Haspel of ordering the destruction of Abu Ghraib torture tapes. Although, actually, it turns out it wasn't Haspel who did that. It was Haspel's boss, Jose Rodriguez, who gave the order. Uh, former Obama administration officials actually lauded Haspel's promotion to the number two job in 2017 uh, when, when Donald Trump first put her in there. So now they're going to say she's awful and she tortures people. Not that, I don't know why that's a terrible thing, but to torture terrorists. But uh, they're going to say that's awful and she's terrible. But both people, uh, great in the job. And uh, they, they have to reflexively hate Trump, so say la vie. Finally, what is China's role in all of this? China has 10 times the GDP of Russia. It has 10 times the population of Russia. China is the second largest economy in the world. China contributes 30% of global economic growth. And yet, we are told, Russia is the big threat. We're colluding with Russia. This is the end of the world. Russia is our geopolitical foe. To help us make sense of all of this, let's bring on Stephen Mosher. Uh, Stephen is president of the Population Research Institute and a leading authority on China. Stephen has been instrumental in exposing abuses in China's one-child policy. He's the author of numerous books, including Journey of the Forbidden China, A Mother's Ordeal, One Woman's Fight Against China's One-Child Policy, Population Control, Real Costs, Illusory Benefits, Broken Earth, The Rural Chinese, China misperceived American illusions and Chinese reality and China attacks. I can barely say all of those titles and he wrote all of those books. I have written one book without any words in it. Presumably all of Stevens have words. That is very impressive. He also frequently testifies before Congress and he publishes all over the place. But we, before we can bring Stephen on, before we do it, all I want to do is talk to Stephen and clear this up. Before we can do that, we have got to talk about war. I guess we're already talking about war with Stephen. That's kind of the theme today. That's providential, you might say. It is pretty amazing. This is a new sponsor. We really thank them because they keep the lights on, but also it's a very cool show that you should listen to from Wondery. It is amazing how unheard uh, the stories of our veterans are. I get notes all the time. Sometimes I try to read them on the show when I can about veterans who say we're, people aren't talking about what's happening at the VA. People aren't talking about the psychological trauma that, that we come back from war with. They're not talking about the high suicide rate. They're not talking about what we saw. Uh, now, there is a podcast from the Wondery Podcast Network called This Is War that is sharing the personal stories from the brave men and women who serve in our armed forces. These are not the sort of things that people talk about on news shows or that you talk about at parties or whatever. These are really important stories. They're first-hand accounts of what it's like to fight and survive combat in foreign lands, protecting our freedom. The free, freedom isn't free. And uh, when you see these guys, remember, your freedom is bought at a price. And we don't like, it's not polite to talk about uh, that awful price and those awful things that our servicemen and women go through. But uh, you, you can hear it now. You can hear these stories firsthand. The bonds that are formed the psychological toll it takes on a human being, what it's like to come home, trying to figure out how they fit in 
and heal uh, the physical and emotional wounds that they incurred during their time in combat. In the first episode, you will meet Ian Mirrens. Uh, a, a month before his senior year in high school, when he was just 17 years old, Ian walked into a recruitment office and signed up. That was August of 2001. A year later, a month, really a month later, uh, the world had completely changed and he was entering the military under very different circumstances than he had anticipated. Uh, this is a heartbreaking story. This is an amazing story, really worth listening to. Go to This Is War on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you're listening to this, probably not YouTube, <laughs> but uh, anywhere else you're listening to this, go to your podcast app, uh, go to This Is War. Uh, you can also visit Wondery, W-O-N-D-E-R-Y dot F-M slash Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L. That is Wonder with a Y. Why Wonder? Because you're a curious person, darn it. Dot com, F-M, I'm sorry, Wondery dot F-M slash Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L. Subscribe, listen, it is great. Stephen, thank you for being here. Oh, it's great to be here. Stephen, my first question, how should conservatives view this Trump-Kim meeting? Are we winning here? Are we legitimating an insane, obese dictator? What does President Trump want, and what is he going to get? Well, I think it's very clear what President Trump wants, because he says very clearly what he wants. He's not interested in playing diplomatic games, and I think that's one of the reasons why we have a new uh, Secretary of State as of you know uh, the time when, when, uh, when uh, Mr. Pompeo is, uh, is confirmed, which should be soon, because he was formally in the House of Representatives, and I think has a lot of support uh, on the Hill. Um, yeah, he, he, he says very clearly what he wants. What, what we all want and what we all should want is, is a denuclearization of the, the uh, Korean Peninsula. Uh, the South doesn't have any nukes, South Korea. We pulled our nukes out uh, some years ago, and North Korea is busily constructing and setting off their own nukes and fitting them on the heads of nuclear um, missiles and, and threatening to fire them at Guam and California. So we need to take their missiles away from them. We need to take their nukes away from them. Uh, in the past, you know, we've had 25 years of failed policy. I mean, we thought, at least uh, President Clinton thought, uh, he could he could uh, buy uh, Kim Jong-un's father, uh, Kim Jong-il, could bribe him into giving up his nuclear weapons program. So we passed over a billion dollars plus, and he kept building nuclear weapons and missiles in secret. Uh, Bush, wa- Bush too, tried again in 2008, handed over a few hundred million dollars before he pulled the plug on that. You can't buy this guy off because uh, all he needs is time and he's going to complete these projects. Uh, you've got to put pressure on him, and that's what we've seen Donald Trump do. Relentless pressure, wave after wave of sanctions. Uh, he's not afraid to upset uh, China, uh, which is, of course, North Korea's big brother. The thing that people have to understand is that China has one mutual defense treaty with one other country. North Korea has one mutual defense treaty with one other country, and uh, that country is China. So China and North Korea are bound at the hip. North Korea is a tributary state of China, wouldn't exist were it not for China's continued support. And if you want to take out Kim Jong-un, weaken his regime, you go through China. The road to solving Pyongyang, the problem of Pyongyang, runs through Beijing. That uh, that seems quite clear to uh, anybody who pays attention to this, and yet the media so rarely report on it that, uh, that we're talking about a tributary state, an ancillary state here, and that a lot of this uh, it requires a proxy war with China or it requires negotiating with China. Uh, what does the replacement of Tillerson specifically with Pompeo mean for that relationship, mean for our standing with China? 
uh, or North Korea or other countries around the world? Well, I think uh, Tillerson has been captured by the State Department, quite frankly. I'm sure he's an honorable man, but, uh, you know, the, the, the permanent uh, diplomatic corps at the State Department wants to resolve all problems by sitting down across the green felt color ta- covered table with, with uh, your, 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 uh, your, your alternate and, and working out some kind of diplomatic solution. That's what they do. They're diplomats. Uh, the solution to North Korea does not run through, through those kinds of negotiations. It, it runs from putting pressure, uh, closing North Korea's ports, closing the border across the Yalu River with China, closing the border up north with Russia, and isolating the North Korean regime in the way it's never been isolated before. And that's, what, that's what's happening now. Uh, China got very upset with this last round of sanctions because we have now sanctioned uh, Chinese companies uh, that were doing business with North Korea. We've ch- sanctioned Chinese ships that were taking goods out to sea, including petroleum, and transferring, do, doing at-sea transfers to North Korean ships to keep the lights on in North Korea, to keep the economy humming. Uh, we have now made it clear to China that, that, that kind of, uh, those kind of shenanigans have to stop. And I think what's really put China on notice and what's really causing China to twist young uh, little rocket man's arm is the fact that we're now getting tough on trade. Right. Because the thing that China fears most is that we will wake up and recognize that they're taking $500 billion worth of stuff from us each year, that according to the FBI, they're stealing $600 billion worth of intellectual property, uh, that they're engaging in constant cyber war against us. I mean, the, the list of Chinese aggressive acts against the United States is almost endless. It covers every type of, of aggression, from cyber aggression to territorial claims in the South China Sea to a military buildup threatening our allies in Asia to economic warfare. Uh, China might as well have, you know, carpet bombed uh, the industrial heartland of the United States the way it's destroyed American industries and, and taken millions of American jobs. And now we're getting tough on trade. And so I think we're, we're, we, we see Donald Trump, who's an astute negotiator, using trade as a lever to get Beijing to really tighten the screws on North Korea. And if Beijing gets serious about that, Kim Jong-un will be history very, very quickly. This uh, question of trade, people are uh, freaking out, obviously, over the steel and aluminum tariffs, even though there's plenty of precedent by Republican presidents. And they're, I think they're missing the key point, which is that Donald Trump is uh, apparently issuing uh, tariffs on steel and aluminum, except he's exempting Canada. He's exempting Mexico. He said that our other allies can negotiate an exemption, which I think is referring to Europe. Uh, so really, the only people that's going to hit are China, who are illegally subsidizing steel and aluminum. Mitt Romney called Russia America's greatest geopolitical threat. Barack Obama made fun of him for that. And now Democrats are calling Russia America's greatest geopolitical threat. (laughs) Meanwhile, China is agitating in the South China Sea. As you said, it has 10 times the population and the GDP of Russia. What does the threat from China really look like? And how does it compare to threats from other places in well, the world. Well, well, look, people, people need to understand that the, the Russian economy is the size of the economy of, of New York State. So it's a fraction of, of the U.S. economy. The Chinese economy is nearly as large as our economy. Uh, some predictions say if, if we continue to allow them to take unfair advantage of us, uh, steal us blind uh, in, in, in cyberspace, that their economy will actually be larger than ours in a few years. We have never confronted an adversary 
uh, for the last 200 years with an economy larger than our own. So this is this is a new and growing threat. It makes uh, the, the, the so-called threat from Russia pale in comparison. Uh, China wants global dominance. Uh, it's very clear. They want to dominate Africa, Eurasia. They're moving into Latin America. They have global ambitions. And those ambitions uh, require that one country that stands in China's way be removed as a superpower competitor. And that one country that stands in China's way of global domination is the United States of America. You know, people don't understand that that beginning in kindergarten in, in China and running through college, Chinese kids are taught that all of China's problems uh, over the last hundred years have resulted from American policies. They're taught to not only dislike us, they're taught to hate us for standing in the way of China's return to, to, to dominance in Asia and the rest of the world. Uh, it's, a very, it's a very troubling thing to look at closely, the curriculum, uh, the, the den- constant denigration of, of the principles of human rights and democracy that we stand for. China believes it has a superior model, a model of one-party dictatorship that it tells dictators around the world is a better path to development, is a better path to economic power and growth than the U.S. model. So we have here an alternative civilization, an alternative political culture that wants to replace our benevolent, you know, superpower leadership around the world with a much more hard-edged, much more dictatorial uh, controlling regime from China. And of course they can get away with all of that because they benefit from all of the innovation that comes out of the United States and out of free countries. And then they steal it, as you said, to the tune of $600 billion a year. Uh, I want to ask you two more questions, particularly as this regards a new Cold War perhaps, and as it regards North Korea. But before I talk about any of that, we have to talk about something much, much more important, and that would be fish oil. That is, I think we know that this is more important. They have excellent fish in East Asia and uh, I wanted to thank a, a sponsor of ours who helps keep the lights on, which makes them, that already makes them top, but they also offer a wonderful product, an excellent product, which is Omax 3, ultra pure supplements. Taking care of your health is a commitment and that can be overwhelming. I went about a decade without ever going to the doctor in my bachelor life. You know, I would just sit and eat slop basically morning, noon and night sleep 17 hours a day instead of my current 15 hours a day. Uh, This is why one must love Omax 3 Ultra Pure Supplements. With Omax 3, you just need to do one little thing to experience big health benefits and you don't even have to think about it. Uh, You know, we we talk about this, how how you can feel a little healthier, treat yourself a little better. It's 2018. Come on, you're an adult. Um, So when tons of studies have shown that something improves your health, we should talk about that. And you've probably heard of the many benefits of getting your daily dose of omega-3s. I will tell you now about the purest way to get them with Omax 3 Ultra Pure. If you're going to do something, why not do it right, right? If you're going to, you know, don't get the like the not so great omega-3s. You should get, get the best. Get the best. Our audience is the best and you deserve the best. Uh, Omax 3 Ultra Pure is the purest omega-3 supplement on the market. It uh, contains nearly 94% high quality omega-3. The purest option, no fish burps. Have you heard about this? If you take the fish oil pills, sometimes it'll taste like fish or so. Don't You don't want that. You want this. You don't avoid that. Come on. What You can't put a price on that. And this I'll be able to offer you an excellent deal. Don't say I never did nothing for you. Uh, There are many omega-3s on the market. This is the best one. 
Omega-3s are amazing at alleviating joint pain and muscular soreness. I don't have a lot of muscle soreness because I don't exercise ever. But, you know, I get pain from sitting. I get a lot of sitting soreness, bed sores, that sort of thing. Uh, it will make you feel your best post-workout, so they tell me. I don't, it makes me feel my best, but post-workout thing, is that's a little much. Uh, they can also improve focus and memory, boost cardiovascular health, and more. It just makes sense to take your daily omega-3 supplement. Uh, it is 94% pure omega-3 fatty acid. The way you know this is something called the freezer test challenge. And I've seen this. This is pretty cool. Uh, if you freeze any other omega-3 supplement and then you also freeze uh, Omax, uh, Omax-3, you'll take them out and then the like kind of not so great one will be all cloudy and gross. And the, omega, uh, the Omax-3 supplement soft gel will remain clear. It is that pure. Um, Omega o Omax 3 comes with a, a 60 day money back guarantee so you'll have plenty of time to try it and really feel the Omax difference. Go to tryomax.com slash covfefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E, right now, just today. And that's an important supplement, too, is covfefe. You're going to want to pair those two together. Uh, you will get a box of Omax 3 Ultra Pure for free. Don't say I never did nothing for you. There is no reason. You're just getting free stuff. Take it. Go to tryomax.com slash covfefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E, -E, to get your free box of Omax 3. Tryomax.com slash covfefe, C-O-V-F-E-F-E. -E. Terms and conditions apply, but don't they always? They apply to everything, folks. Uh, okay, Stephen, you write that in 1991, Deng Xiaoping predicted a new Cold War between the U.S. and China. Uh, many have kind of written that off as a blip by a leader who's on his way out. And we've tried a lot of strategies, both with China and with North Korea. Strategic patience was our strategy uh, with North Korea under the Obama administration. Didn't result in, in uh, great results. Uh, leading from behind, we heard this on the world stage. What is the U.S. looking for on the world stage and, in, in order to retain our dominance, in order to secure the world order? What is it looking for now and what should it be looking to secure? Well, first of all, we have to be realistic about what, what China wants. Uh, China you know, for people to say that Trump is declaring a trade war on China or on the world is ridiculous. China has been at war with us in trade terms uh, from the time it opened up to the West in 1979. You know, I was the first American social scientist allowed into China in 1979 and 1980. It was a dirt poor country at that time. The reason it become, has become wealthy and dangerous and powerful is because of the biggest transfer of wealth and technology in human history from the United States unwittingly to China. We have created a monster. Uh, you know, and Deng Xiaoping in 1991 actually declared uh, war on the United States. He said the old Cold War is over uh, with Russia and between the Soviet Union, now Russia and the United States, the U.S. won. Uh, the new Cold War has now begun between China and the United States, and China will win this one. And I'm afraid if we don't get smart and, and, uh, move ahead early to meet this threat in five or ten years, that, that, that threat will become become reality, that they will win uh, this Cold War. So, you know, if your enemy says you're at war, then you're probably at war whether you want to be or not. <laughs> yeah, you, you don't get a say in that. If, they, if, they, if one party says it, you're in it. Uh, what, what does this mean for North Korea? Are we going to go to war with North Korea? Is North Korea a proxy war with China? Is there a, a peaceful solution? What is the end game with regard to this specific problem? Well, I think North Korea is slowly being strangled to death, and, and China could, uh, if it wanted to, if we put enough pressure on China, could tie the knot even tighter. Uh, Kim Jong-un will either, the end game is Kim Jong-un will be removed by his own military, 
which is so hungry that they're sending their troops out to forage in the fields and steal people's crops from starving peasants. That's how hungry the military is in, in North Korea. Uh, the second possible end game is that uh, Kim Jong-un actually does give up his nukes and his missiles. I know that we've been planning various contingencies for various contingencies, including going in and strategically removing, surgically removing uh, those missiles and, and those nukes. But we've told China, in fact, that if we do that, it's not a threat to China. It's only removing the threat from North Korea. Uh, China has 250,000 troops on North Korea's border ready to move in in the case of regime collapse. So I think the, the noose is tightening. I think Kim Jong-un is, uh, is, uh, is, is counting, counting down the days uh, that he's in power, and that's why he wants to meet with, with, uh, with our president. Uh, this, is, this is a direct result of the policy of, of getting tough and staying tough. You know, and, and, and Trump has made it clear if the negotiations don't work out, uh, the news continues to tighten until Kim Jong-un uh, simply ceases to, to, to be a threat. Is therefore, is regime change in North Korea, is that a win for China? Or is that what we should be hoping for as we tighten that news? Well, I, I think that Kim Jong-un is a particularly nasty, uh, you know, hereditary dictator, the third in line of the, uh, the Kim dynasty, and that he should quickly join his, uh, his grandfather and his father in the Kim dynasty tomb outside of Pyongyang. Uh, they would be better than North Korea would be better off with almost anyone uh, than the current uh, Kim Jong-un. Uh, China's nightmare, of course, is a total collapse of the North Korean regime, uh, unification of the Korean Peninsula under South Korean American troops on the Yellow River across uh, across the border from China. Um, but that, that, I think, is the hope of the Korean people in the North. Uh, you've got a country where a third of the population is malnourished. That is getting too few calories to, to sustain life over a long period of time. Uh, this is a country that uh, that desperately needs desperately needs new leadership. That that makes sense to me. All right, Stephen, thank you very much for being here. You've helped clear this up. Uh, it's a, obviously a very complex issue. I think a lot of people don't understand the decades-long threat from China and the decades-long provocation and all of the IP theft and all of the violation of WTO. Uh, treaties. So thank you for clearing that up a little bit. And, uh, and we'll see what happens when President Trump goes over and meets with little rocket man. I have this image of him just kind of sitting at the table and just punching him in the face or choking him or something, but maybe that's a little, <laughs> little too dramatic. That's too reality TV. Stephen, thank you for being here. Yeah. Oh, thanks for having me. So we, I think we've got to sign off, don't we? Oh, that's so awful. That is so sick. I got some good stuff. Oh, do I have good stuff coming up? I want to explain a bit more about, you know, our friend, the friend of the show, that hot dude, Lauren Southern. We're going to talk a little bit more about how apparently her criticism of Islam or her satire of Islam, that's racist because the UK apparently thinks that Islam is a race. I will clear that up for the United Kingdom. <laughs> and we'll talk a little bit about Hillary, my third cousin, or fourth cousin, twice removed. But I'm sorry if you are on Facebook or YouTube. <laughs> if you're on Facebook, you can't watch that. Come to dailywire.com. If you go to dailywire.com, you will get me, the Andrew Clavin Show, the Ben Shapiro Show. You will get the conversation. You'll, if you sign up right now, you will get to ask questions during the conversation, which happens in like three seconds. Uh, ben Shapiro is going to be doing the conversation at 5.30 uh, Eastern, 2.30 Pacific today. Make sure you get in there. Uh, only subscribers can ask questions, though everybody can watch. Many are called, few are chosen. Make sure to get in there. Again, none of that matters. When the United States inevitably enters into a full-scale war with China. When we defeat communist China, 
the left is going to be really sad. They're going to be so sad. They've been rooting for communist China for uh, about 70 or 80 years now. They've really probably been rooting for a century ever since, ever since Russia fell. So you're going to want this. This is the only FDA approved vessel to store all of those leftist tears. And you'll get two kinds of leftist tears. You'll get the American leftist tears where they just wanted more strategic patients. And you'll also get the Chinese communist leftist tears. And that blend is really, really tasty. So go to dailywire.com. We'll be right back. All right. To our friend Lauren, Lauren Southern, she was detained. She was not allowed to enter into the United Kingdom because she's a terrorist now, according to the UK. Now, of course, the UK has let in tons of terrorists and pimps and gangsters and uh, Islamist monsters over the past several decades, but they won't let in Lauren Southern, a YouTube journalist, because we now know she handed out somewhere in Europe, she handed out satirical pamphlets that were in the gay pride flag, and it said, Allah is queer. Allah is for LGBT equality. Allah is for this, right? And it's, it's obviously a satire of uh, Vice Magazine's famously shallow article claiming that Jesus is gay and all of these things, you know, that uh, Christianity is awful and terrible and bigoted because of its uh, traditional view of sexual morality. But you, when, you do the, when you try to say the same things about Islam, you are denied entrance to a country. <laughs> You're banned from the United Kingdom and deported. So the UK cited these signs as evidence of racism. We should. They, I guess everything is racism these days. Like when my coffee's too hot in the morning and it burns my tongue, that's racism. Everything's racism. Islam is not a race. It's actually a bit racist to say that Islam is a race. Not all brown people are Muslim. That isn't how it works. And Islam hasn't been around forever. Islam is a religion and a religion is a set of ideas and anybody can hold those ideas. Muhammad founded the religion of Islam after meeting Bahira, a heretical Christian monk in Syria on a merchant trip with his uncle Abu Talib in the seventh century. I think the year was 610. Uh, Bahira, this monk that he hung out with there, has been alternately in history described as Arian or Nestorian. Those are two Christian heresies. Uh, it's unclear which one he was. Um, some traditions refer to him as Nestorius or, or Sergius. Um, but anyway, we do know, both, all, everyone agrees on this guy, that this guy existed. Um, both of those heresies separated Christ's divinity and his humanity. Arianism denied Christ's divinity altogether. You can remember that famous image of Santa Claus at the First Council of Nicaea punching the heretic Arius in the face. Uh, that, that's where Arianism comes from. Islam was founded in the year 610. It's only been around for 1,400 years. We think of the Middle East. We think of all the brown people in the Middle East. This is what the UK thinks of. Oh, all the brown people are Muslim. That's right, because they're conflating these things. 1,400 years ago, there weren't any Muslims because there wasn't any Islam. Syria used to be a Christian country. That's why Bahira was living there. So there were some heretics too, but it was Christian. Uh, there were a lot of Jews in Medina. In, and now we think of Medina as the heart of Islam, one of the hearts of Islam. There were a lot of Jews there, a tribe called the Banu Kureza. They lived in Medina until 627 when Muhammad came in and beheaded all of their men, except for the handful who converted to Islam. Uh, just 100 years later, Muslim forces under the Umayyad Caliphate had invaded Europe. Now we think uh, w w this, a lot of this comes back to uh, the 8th century to 732 when these forces were turned back by Charles Martel's forces at the Battle of Tours. Charles the Hammer, Charlemagne's grandfather. You would be speaking Arabic right now if it were not for Charles Martel. And, and notice on the map, if you look at a map sometime of Tours, Tours isn't 150 miles outside of Mecca. 
So Taurus is 150 miles outside of Paris. Taurus is right outside of Paris. Those Muslim forces in just a century made it all the way into the heart of Europe. The historian Edward Gibbon wrote of that battle, the Battle of Tours, quote, a victorious line of march had been prolonged above a thousand miles from the rock of Gibraltar to the banks of the Loire. The repetition of an equal space would have carried the Saracens to the confines of Poland and the highlands of Scotland. The Rhine is not more impassable than the Nile or Euphrates, and the Arabian fleet might have sailed without a naval combat into the mouth of the Thames, right into England. Uh, perhaps the interpretation of the Quran would now be taught in the schools of Oxford, and her pulpits might demonstrate to the, a circumcised people the sanctity and truth of the revelation of Muhammad. Ironically, that's sort of happening. <laughs> Ironically, that's already happened. And the UK allows in a ton of Muslim terrorists, but it won't let in Lauren Southern, who, who created a little satire of Islam. The same sort of satire that would compare it to Christianity, where all of these things are tolerated all the time. Islam is not a race. It is a religion, which is to say a set of ideas, which is to say a way of viewing the world. I can say this as a Sicilian, someone of Sicilian descent. Sicilians and Arabs are virtually indistinguishable. They look almost exactly the same. Sicilians tend to be Catholic and Arabs tend to be Muslim, which is why Sicily is different than Arabian countries. Uh, they look the same, but they view the world differently. They have a different framework, a moral framework, a, a different uh, worldview, as we call it. Th that's why those are different things. And to try to conflate a religion with a race is, is really awful because what you're saying is, oh, those people over there, those, those ethnic minorities, they, they can't think. They're not capable of thinking. That We can think. We can think of different ideas and have different religious points of view, but they can't. They're just born into this religion. They have to stay that way. So it's racist to... To, to criticize their religion. But of course that isn't the case. They're people. They're people just like you and me, pal. And they have faculties of reason. And some visions of the world are, are better than other visions of the world. Some visions of the world are more compatible with certain cultures and civilizations than other visions of the world. There's nothing uh, racist about that. And there's nothing, there, if, if one cannot tolerate satire, if a vision of the world cannot tolerate satire, perhaps that vision has something wrong. In other news, before we go, I've got, I just, I can't help but cover this. Hillary Clinton slipped in India. Hillary Clinton slipped in India. This was trending news all over the world. It was trending. I think uh, our writer, Ryan Savidra, covered it. And it, and so I'll just show, I'll show you the clip, then we can talk about it. You know, when I saw this trending on Twitter, my first, I actually thought, oh, you know, do, I don't, I don't want to get pleasure out of watching some old woman lose her footing on, on slippery stairs. I don't, why am I, why, who cares? Why are we, why is this trending? But everybody enjoyed it. Everybody thought like, oh, there's Hillary. She's just, she didn't hurt herself. She just kind of slipped a little. Why? Why did this trend? Why did we all enjoy it? Because this wasn't her worst gaffe on the trip. Here is her worst gaffe in India. If you look at the map of the United States, there's all that red in the middle where Trump won. I win the coasts, I win, you know, Illinois and Minnesota, places like that. But what the map doesn't show you is that I won the places that represent two-thirds of America's gross domestic product. So I won the places that are optimistic, diverse, dynamic, moving forward. And his whole campaign, Make America Great Again, was looking backwards. 
you know, you didn't like black people getting rights, you don't like women, you know, getting jobs, you don't want to, you know, see that Indian American succeeding more than you are, whatever your problem is, I'm going to solve it. Oh, that's why we were all happy. Okay. That's why we were all happy when she slipped and looked kind of foolish in India because she's a hateful liar. <laughs> she hates her countrymen and she lies about them. And then she accuses them of the worst possible things with no evidence whatsoever. And she says, well, I know why I lost. I thought it was the Macedonian teenagers and James Comey and Barack Obama and Joe Biden and this and that and Anthony Weiner and blah, blah, blah. Everybody but Hillary, everybody but number one, you know, the accountable lady who's going to answer the phone at three in the morning. Oh, except she didn't. When she lost, she she didn't show up. And John Podesta had to go out there and say, Hillary's always been with you, except for right now when it matters. And then she's not with you. She's somewhere else, probably throwing things at the wall. Uh, racist poor people. That's why Hillary won. That's what she thinks of her countrymen. That's what she thinks of half the country. She hasn't learned a thing in, really in her entire career, but she has, certainly hasn't learned a thing since she called half the country deplorable and irredeemable. Austin Peterson and I were talking about this yesterday, about how politicians need to like people. This is why actors make good politicians and vice versa. It's why some of the great Republican politicians have been actors. You need to like people. You have to be concerned with the human condition and the eternal questions. That's the craft of an actor. And you also have to like people so you can build a character or talk to your constituents or work for people for not a lot of money and get a lot of flack for it. Hillary doesn't do either of those. She doesn't like people. She's not introspective. She doesn't think about the eternal questions. She just blames everybody else and recites the same old tired lies that she's been doing her entire career. She's a terrible politician. Tell me something I don't know. Uh, also, just, just how awful, uh, obviously she doesn't like her countrymen and she hates her president, but how awful to deride her, her president and her countrymen on foreign soil. How awful to go overseas and say, yeah, my country's full. M most of the people in my country are idiots, especially the poor ones. The poor ones are all racists and I hate them. And I hate my president. He's doing a terrible job. Just really, she should be profoundly ashamed of herself. And I'm ashamed of her because she's in my family. The lefties try to say that we're obsessed with Hillary Clinton. They say, why are you talking about her? She's old news. She isn't old news. She isn't old news. She's going around pretending to be the president and saying awful things about her country and truly embarrassing her country. She is a true embarrassment to, to the United States. And so we're, I'm not obsessed. I didn't, I didn't think about Hillary Clinton until she went on television and started saying awful things about America again. If you go into the woods and hide Hillary in Chappaqua, uh, well, let's make a pact. If you stop embarrassing your country, we'll stop laughing at little things when you make a fool of yourself in, in foreign countries. How's that work? That's my deal that I'm offering to my cousin Hillary. Okay, that's our show today. Make sure you get your mailbag questions in. That it's going to be Thursday. We got some other great. I just talked to a guest we're going to bring on soon. He is a good one. There's we got some good stuff coming up, but I'm not going to ruin the surprise. Also, I'm going to be in New York uh, to, for some speaking engagements. Just booked my flight. I'll let you know some more information about that as it becomes available. And uh, last, just a quick thank you to Charlotte Pence. She gave us the new book, uh, A View of the Vice President from uh, Marlon Bundo, The Bunny Rabbit. So you can check that out. Get that book on Amazon. It's very good. I've got it now as a permanent part of my set. Okay, that's the show. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Come back tomorrow. We'll do it all again. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Overa. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018. Right now, go to preborn.com slash Knowles. Last year, 
Because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saved over 58,000 babies. Thank you to all who made this possible. We need to celebrate these precious babies. When Charlotte found out she was pregnant, she was seven weeks along. In the back of her mind, she thought abortion was the best solution. She went into a preborn clinic, and after hearing her baby's heartbeat and seeing her beautiful baby on ultrasound, she chose life. Her heart is filled with gratitude for all of you who made this possible. Just 28 bucks a month can be the difference between the life and death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears that heartbeat, it is a divine connection that doubles a baby's chance at life. Let's join together, help mothers choose life. To donate, dial pound 250, say keyword baby. That's keyword baby, or go to preborn.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Preborn fundraises separately for all the administrative costs, so every dollar you give goes straight towards saving babies. Go to preborn.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, and donate right now.